Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches of Husky Podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Jake Grant and Coach V. And the Jedfish era is fully underway. He's right now down at the Senior Bowl taking pictures with Michael Penix Jr. as Mike dominates. Uh, his stock continues to rise as people get to see him playing down there, uh, at least in practice right now. There's recommitments. There's new commitments. There's reaffirmations from guys that are coming back to the university. There was a big Zoom call with a bunch of alumni, a lot of energy around the program right now. Uh, Coach, how are you feeling about the whole fish situation now that we're almost a month in? I feel pretty good. I mean, you know, this is this was the guy that I was like, well, if we're going to lose our coach, we should probably get this one. And obviously for the X's and O's stuff, then it's obviously really important. But the fact that he and his staff are just dogs on the recruiting trail, the fact that he knows how to build an organization and he can turn around a program quickly we're not we're not coming from the depths of where U of A was a few years ago. It's I mean we just we obviously just played in Houston about a month ago. So um, longest month of my life, by the way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just I'm feeling fine. Like I I know that there's another portal season after this one, and I know that they've got to take care of some things like offensive line, defensive line, et cetera. But you know we just keep getting guys in the portal, and we keep getting some U of A transfers and. A lot of the kids that were committed are starting to reaffirm their commitments. I think that everybody can kind of see that there's some momentum here and there's some hype building up. So if people are still a little stressed out, that's perfectly natural. But I honestly am not even close to being worried right now. Jake? Yeah, I mean, Coach put it very eloquently. I, um, I'm – I when recruits started coming in slowly, you know, it, it, it took, it seemed like it took forever. It seemed like it took a month just to get our first recruit to commit and, and to recommit. And once that happened, it seemed like the ball started really rolling, um, getting, you know, a, a recommitment from Will Rogers, um, Jeremiah Hunter, uh, and then snagging like a guy like Jonah Coleman is, is huge for this program. It makes it makes the the class and the and the football team look a lot less depleted than it really was looking a week before that. Um, it's nice seeing Jed Fish out at the Senior Bowl wearing Washington gear, yep. uh, not looking like an evil sidekick like Evil DeBoer, and um, out there looking like like a guy that's going to steal all of his recruits from him. So, <laughs> so it's good to see Jed out there doing his thing. Yeah. And, you know, I thought on the senior bowl, the consensus so far is that Mike looks amazing and that Roger is dominating. He's one of the best tackles there right now. And it seems like his star will continue to rise. Who knows where he's going to go in the NFL draft. I, I really have no, ideas around that coach do you have any insight into like where he's at what kind of prospect he is we're not going to know until you know after the combine and the private workouts but i feel like it, it all the people who are throwing praise at mike at the senior bowl are people who are just getting like eyes on him live for the first time they've seen all the film they know what he can do the only question is going to be when he goes and does all the medical checks and I've talked to guys who have done the uh, combine before and it's like 
you know, they say it's the meat market and they're pulling on your joints and they're, they're, they're inspecting, you know, how your knees are and your shoulders. And, you know, you're just sitting there in your underwear trying not to, you know, feel, you know, like a piece of meat. Um, I think the last two years were really big for him just to show that he could, you know, make it through a full season. He played 15 games this year. Right. And yeah, he got banged up, but so does everybody. Everybody gets banged up. Right. Um, kid's a warrior. Um, he's been through so much. I think that helps him in the long run because as long as everything checks out and he doesn't have like some degenerative issue and, you know, I've never heard that he does. I think it's a, it's actually a bonus that, when you're putting your faith in a, a human being to be the face of your franchise, the leadership quality and the way that people gravitate to him is the first part of that. But a lot of these golden boy quarterbacks, they come out and they've never had any real adversity in their entire lives, their high school career, they were state champions. They go into a good college program and they, and they dominate and they have really good careers. And when they get to the NFL is when they, they, they have their first taste of adversity. I, I think of like, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence. The dude yeah. was the number one recruit in the country. He goes to Clemson. He's got a couple national championships. He's the number one pick in the draft. And he's learning on the fly these last few years how to be a winner. I feel like he's taking a lot of good strides, but it, it just wasn't automatic for him. Justin Fields, you know, top dual threat quarterback in the country, goes to Georgia, transfers to Ohio State you know, has a great career there, gets drafted high, and it has been a struggle. It's been up and down to the point now where he's done enough to where he's earned that next contract somewhere, but they're not, they don't even know if it's going to be the Bears. Yeah, the Bears going to keep that pick and, and go with Caleb Williams or somebody like that, or are they going to stay with him? So when GMs and coaching staffs and, and personnel people have to weigh all of that, as long as everything checks out, I mean, he's he's shown the heart. He's shown the desire. He's shown that football isn't just something that he does. It's something that he lives and breathes. And he's had to fight for it. So I, I do not think there's, like I said, things come up and you wonder how guys fall or whatever. I don't think we're going to have to wait long for Michael to get his name called. It's definitely going to be a first-round pick. So – the, I think the best thing that he has going for him is that he's not going to be a top eight pick. Um, I think it would be best for him if he fell down and later in the first round, because then he's falling into a better situation, a better team, um, i.e. the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, my fandom is showing, but, you know, they have a brand new head coach and could use a quarterback to sit for one year while Geno plays out. And then, and then hand the reins over to Michael Penix. And uh, a team like that would be an absolute dream scenario for a guy like Mike. Um, somebody that is kind of polished. Um, you know, Dave Richard from CBS tweeted out today his top five quarterbacks. He only tweeted two, and Michael Penix was number one. Yeah. Um, you know, going to the Senior Bowl for Mike is, is a phenomenal decision because, you know, we all – kind of complain about it all season is that West coast football doesn't get much attention. Um, Booger is a prime example of not knowing anything about West coast football. And the fact that Mike's over there showing what he can do and showing the finesse throws and the arm strength and the ability to hit guys in stride and, and play against top level talent over and over and over every day. 
is a real blessing for him, and he's getting a lot of really great exposure. Well, two points. Somebody said something around along the lines of like, "Well, this is how good Roman Wilson is when he has a guy like Michael Penix throwing to him," which is hilarious. But the second thing, what you're talking about, Jake, about falling, you know, out of that like the top ten, where it's kind of the same teams year in year out that are looking for that franchise quarterback. A lot of those guys, I think of the uh, which car what was it Dar- David Carr, where he was the consensus number one overall pick, goes number one, and goes to the the Houston. Texans right, and has no offensive line in front of him and just gets destroyed for like two and a half years. Uh, Joey Harrington going to a a Detroit Lions team that had no business drafting a quarterback and just getting blown up to the point where they're seeing ghosts. I don't even know if it's, you know, a benefit for him sitting. I mean, he's 23, 24 years old, but going somewhere where it's not a franchise that's in upheaval all the time. And one that maybe has a a solidified offensive line or a semblance of an offensive line that he's going to be able to sit through and, and be able to make his reads without getting pummeled, pummeled. Yeah. And the thing for me is I know, we all kind of dream about Mike staying in Seattle and becoming a Seahawk. I don't know if after this, this workout season in the combine and, and all of that, you're going to get into a situation where Caleb Williams goes off the board. Maybe Drake may does. I'm still not sold on Drake may quite yet. I don't think JD McCarthy belongs in the first round. I think he mm-hmm. might into the first round. I got into an argument on Twitter with a guy, a Michigan fan who was all over the Seahawks taking him at 16 this morning. Um, But you're going to get into a situation now where, you know, there's a bunch of guys and then they're going to start poking holes in their careers and what they're actually doing on the field. And we're going to be approaching like the 10th pick and somebody's going to say, we got to move up. Like we got to go get that guy. Yeah. And if it's not Seattle, because, you know, we just, we just hired a new, defensive minded uh coach today the guy that i wanted all along i'm on a hot streak boys you kind of (laughs) are um (laughs) i can honestly see the tampa bay buccaneers yeah the hometown kid and you know we've got we've already got husky south love that dude michael Penix to kate otten come on that's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, I was I was yeah. just thinking the same thing. And the thing that I've been, I've been thinking about that all season, and I'm like, you know, when when I went up to the Oregon game and I got a chance to meet some of Michael's family, and just I'm so impressed just hearing about all the games they've gone to. They don't go to every game, but they pretty much go to most of the games, and they're flying out from Florida to do it, or they're driving. Wouldn't it be nice to just have them at home, you know, for his yeah. families? just to pay them back for all the miles they put out, just like going to watch their son and their, you know, the grandson, no. that would just be a perfect deal. Jay, like Jake disagrees. I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. I think that it, <laughs> he I just wants him in Seattle. I want him to come home, move come him on up here. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. It just, it, it, it occurred to me that everything that his family has been through and, and, you know, with all of his injuries and just, you know, following him around the country, watching all these games, it'd be pretty cool for, you know, the family to have him at home. You know what, if, if, if 
we draft Michael Penix, I'll house his family so that we <laughs> don't worry about that anymore. Okay. Your renter's not going to be happy when he listens to this. <laughs> yeah. My wife's not going to be happy when I tell her that we're losing rent too, because I'm not <laughs> charging them. <rent. Yeah. laughs> hey, you probably get tickets at least, you know, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for him. Uh, turning back to the Huskies program, looking at the the names, the Seattle Times put out a really nice list that has it's as up to date as you can get with the recent commitment of Russell Davis, the edge rusher coming from Arizona uh, up to Washington. It has everybody who's in the transfer portal from Washington, whether they have found new homes or not. It has the players who have entered and then have decided to take their names out um, as well as the transfers coming in, man, there's some really good names on here. There's some possession groups that I feel really, really good about. Uh, The first one is the defensive back room, namely the corners. Uh, And some of that is the fact that Washington still has some really good players that are here. Somebody like Caleb Presley, who didn't see the field at all last year, but was a, uh, was he the best top rated uh, prospect in his class? His, his, this was his true freshman year. Then you have uh, Ephesians Priceock, who I think is going to end up being the number one cornerback here. Um, uh, you have, uh, where's the other Jordan Shaw, plus the guys that are just still here from the former staff. You have Devon Banks, who was playing really, really well. Thaddeus Dixon, um, Elijah Jackson. I just think that that group is probably the deepest um, with even somebody like Dyson McCutcheon, who I really liked coming out. We haven't seen him a ton on the field yet, but there's a lot of depth there. What are some of the uh, positions that you guys see as uh, strengths of this program? As of right now, with uh, more time in the portal, apparently there's going to be a bunch of Boston College guys entering the portal, Michigan guys in the portal, and then we also have the spring. So, But like as of right now, some of the strengths of this team. As of right now, for me, I think the one room that I look at that I actually think has upgraded from last year, as much as I love DJ, I love Dylan Johnson. I have fallen in love with the running back room, man. With the addition of Coleman, you know, you got, you got Tybo came back. Um, I mean, who else do you got? You got, um, you got Jason Robinson coming in. Um, Here's my, um, Cam Davis, Cam Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Cam Davis is going to fight for that starting spot with Jonah Coleman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, as much as, as much as our offense has taken a beating with, with transfers, I actually think our running back depth has gotten better. I mean, I, we didn't have any depth. We had Dylan Johnson and then we had a uh, cliff and then, and then we had the rest of the guys. And And I think that we have two or three guys all on the same level this year. What about you? Well, you already mentioned the secondary. It's so deep, and it it might get even deeper. Um, obviously, with the Arizona transfers, and there might be one more. Um, I really liked our young group of DBs last year. Vincent Holmes was, you know, we talked about earlier, was yeah. one of my favorite guys. Um, he's coming back. There's there's some, you know, question as to whether he's going to play safety or another position. But God, I hope he stays in safety because. I just love the range and I love the way I did a whole like scouting report on him last year, how 
as a safety, you want to see your safeties take good angles and, and sort of fill the alley in the run game. And I thought that he just wiped people out. You know, he's not a 205 pound dude flying around there, at least not yet, but he just hit like a ton of bricks. He was super fluid in his hips. He was super athletic. He was really good on offense as well. Like he just had natural football instincts. Happy that he's back. Um, and then some of the young guys were getting in here, like, you know, um, Peyton Walk. Oh gosh, I'm blanking. Please cut me. Waters. Peyton Waters. Oh my God, I almost called him Woodyard. So yeah, Peyton Waters would be, you know, one of my favorite guys coming in. Um, but there's so many. Um, and I also like our edge group. Mm. You know, we just got a commitment today from Russell Davis, the third. Wait, did I get that second. right? Second. Yeah, second. Second. Um, actually saw that kid play uh in the playoffs uh when he was at Hamilton down here. Unfortunately, um he he had set the Arizona single season sack record that year. And he had the misfortune of going up against a left tackle at Saguaro by the name of Parker Brailsford. Mm. Oh, yeah. Did you talk about that on the recording or or maybe that was just off off? Uh, I've, I've probably told that story a few times, but um, that's when I fell in love with Parker. I was like, he's doing that to this kid. Man, he must be special. And but aside from that one game, obviously, he had like 14, 15 sacks that year and it was just really dominant kid. He's starting to fill out. He's going to go into his third year next year, and hopefully he comes out looking more along the lines of like 240, 245. Yeah. And it, it, he's really long and athletic, and if he can get up, he can get his weight up a little bit, he's going to be one of those unexpected contributors that you're looking at, whoa, where'd that kid come from? Um, I think the one other one that I'm – I'm actually feeling pretty good about just with some of the guys that are going to be back plus guys that are developing and guys coming in uh, is the linebacker position. Uh, I think that you're going to see a huge season out of Carson Bruner, Alfonso Tupatala, um, but you still have Devin Bryant and Jordan Whitney, two guys that I think were some of the the darlings of that class last year. Then you throw in a uh, binary by, Byron Parham uh, that's coming over from San, Diego, San Jose State, who is uh, an all-league honorable mention. There's bodies that are going to be thrown into uh, the rotation there, and you're just going to be able to I, – I don't know this defensive staff and how they do it. Clearly, the other staff did a ton of movement, um, a lot of rotation. You're going to see a little bit of that at the linebacker position, regardless, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing more Carson Bruner as you know, the entire season goes, but keeping guys fresh, getting guys in. I think that this room is actually pretty deep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know how much I love Carson Bruner. We, uh, we, watched, yeah. we watched him in, in uh, Corvallis and mm -hmm. he absolutely changed the game um, just by himself and the ability to do that. And, and who knows? I mean, we still don't have a defensive coordinator, so we don't know how they view linebacking play. Um, some guys like to keep their middle linebackers in all game, and I could see Carson Burner being that guy. He has the ability. He's got the range. He's got the sideline to sideline speed, um, and he can lay the lumber, man. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think linebacker is a, is a plus in the positive side. Well, plus they had uh, they had the kid Manu down there at U of A. That was kind of their do it all, you know, middle yeah. of the field linebacker. 
And Carson is a bigger, faster version of that guy. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you three positions. You're going to rank them from one to three, one being the most nervous about at this moment, three being the least nervous. Uh, the position groups are receiver, offensive line, and defensive line. Coach? So I have to put these in order of three is the most concerned or least? Least concerned. concerned. So number one is your most concerned. And the three positions were given to me again. Offensive, defensive line, receiver. Okay. Offensive line, uh, one. Yep. Um, receiver, two. Defensive line, three. And while I uh, – so let me preface this by saying I don't think our defensive line is anywhere near complete. Okay. But I think it's easier to find those body types and to kind of get a rotation going than it is to find uh, wide receivers who are ready to step on the field to be impact players today, like next like – when, when the beginning of the season comes around. And then you have to get guys into the system and working with the new quarterback and – learning a new system altogether. I think that the wide receivers in college football next to the quarterback have some of the toughest uh, like intellectual assignments and being able to read coverages and just kind of be on the same page. So there's a lot of check with me in college football, but there's also a lot of, hey, I'm, I'm reading the coverage here. Do you see what I see? So I know we've got Travis Hunter, but we we have a lot of talented unknown. Here are my Hunter. <laughs> Jeez Louise, man. <laughs> Jeremiah Hunter. Yes, not Travis Hunter. I didn't want to start a I'm not trying to start any weird, you know, <laughs> rumors or you know, try to submarine Deion Sanders over in Colorado. My my apologies. <laughs> Sorry, did I I I'm did I get in the way of your point? Who knows? Oh, okay. <laughs> Do Could you know your out. name? <laughs> oh, God, no. <clears throat> um, yeah, and so then you're you're uh you're you're I, I would agree with you. Number one for me is absolutely offensive line. I'm not sure that as of right now you can put a five in there that you feel really, really comfortable with. And there's guys that uh, you know, injury, um are they still in the program? There's just a lot of question marks. Jake, what, how would you rank them? Uh, I'd put my D line at three, just because I think with the arrive, you know, with Russell Davis arriving, um, you still got Voytanufi, you got Zach Durfee that's ready to go. You're talking interior, um, huh? Interior line. You said D line, okay. so I'm I'm getting to that. Respect. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Bandis, you got the incoming incoming cap from Montana State, uh Sebastian Valdez. Uh, apparently he's a baller too. So D-line, I feel uh relatively okay about. I think you don't have the depth that you'd like, but I do think you have dudes there. Um, two wide receiver. Uh, I would have felt a lot worse about this if uh Travis Jeremiah Hunter didn't recommit to Washington. Um, I am happy about that. Um, I just don't think, I, I mean, well, we have a bunch of small guys. I think, uh, Jeremiah Hunter and Denzel Boston are pretty much our only two tall above six foot legit starting wide receivers. Um, and that's and with for, Denzel Boston taking a big jump this year. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and number one is, I mean, it's a consensus, right? It's it's offensive line. Um, hockey Finau coming, recommitting to Washington would make me feel a lot better about the Washington line if he does. Um, if he doesn't, I mean, my, I, I'm going to stay nervous. Uh, even, even with that spring transfer portal, you want continuity on that offensive and defensive line. And um, getting guys late in that spring portal is going to be tough to get those guys ready to go for the season. I'm going to finish this up with uh, a positive one that we didn't mention, but continues to just, it's the University of Washington and they just churn out great tight ends. Uh, I yeah. love Quentin Moore and Josh Cuevas as your starters. I'd love to see Ryan Otten take that next step uh, into being one of those guys. And we'll see what Decker DeGraff is in his freshman year. But, you know, having Quentin Moore and Josh Cuevas, guys that really blocked all year just because of the talent in front of them are are going to get to show the country uh, that they're legitimate NFL caliber tight ends. Yeah, it's praying for Otten to be finally completely healthy. Right. So go through uh, an off season of just building himself back up. And he was really good, you know, obviously a really talented big athlete coming out of high school. I, I liked him on defense. I honestly, I, I thought he was a really good defensive end from all his high school film, but um, he just hasn't had the opportunity to show what he can do. But I love Cuevas and I love Quentin Moore and, you know, we got to find that that third guy in the equation. It, it might be a young guy. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up Ryan Otten too, because I mean it's it's in the bloodline, and and uh, you know he he has the ability to to kind of mold himself into that next great Washington tight end. Um, and and now is the time. It's the perfect time to do that. Uh, he has the ability. He has the body. He has the hands. Um, if you can put it all together, I mean, he can have a phenomenal career for Washington. Yeah. And he's just a little bit bigger than his brother. Uh, he was a little bit higher of a prospect as well. It's just, it's been, I was at a practice where he, a couple of years ago where he pulled his hamstring and we really didn't see much of him for the rest of the year. He was on the sidelines, uh, in street clothes. So would really, really like to see that. Now joining us is the voice, the color commentator uh, of our favorite football team, and that's Cam Cleland. Uh, Cam, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, just in a nutshell, what was this last really year and a half, this long winning streak and the national championship? What was that ride like for you? Well, by the way, thanks for having me on, fellas. You guys are in for a world of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> just the way we like it. Yeah, just having a bald ginger guy with no with Oh, microphone. my God. Mm, I mean, it's just like, it's going to get really terrifying. It's, it, it really is. Uh, no, I mean, come on guys from the, the emotions that we had and what we all went through in this last month. I mean, if, if I would have told you, I don't know, a year ago said, Hey, we were going to play in the national championship. Both head coaches were going to be gone from that national championship game. We'd have a new coach in less than 48 hours. The entire offensive line and every starter would be gone, <laughs> and and then you look at me and you go, "Cam, you're you're BS crazy. You're nuts. I mean, what's wrong with this? Is college football? This is where we're at." And I even I think probably with a lot of fans and even including you guys, we didn't even really get to in, 
got to enjoy the run, but it was just so abrupt in the emotional swing that I went through, and I can't imagine everyone else went through. It was ridiculous. I had, I think I went through every uh, phase of of depression and then anger and then what are we going to do and how it's going to change, what's wrong with college football, let's fix this, let's get rid of this, let's cap this, don't let this happen, why are these coaches so like this and all of it's there and here we are and we just got to move on and I hate to say it like that and I also hate, I'm not a, a downer when it comes to what college football is now because it's it's one of those situations where we're looking at many professional things and and how it's implemented and there's so much but from a husky perspective fellas that year was off the charts insane it's it was it's so funny because it's so funny because you you mentioned you know the deep state of depression you know when when we beat Oregon the first time me and Trevor were at the game there together uh coach was there we met him after the game and me and Trevor talked about after we beat Oregon that time, I wasn't sold on this team going undefeated yet. I I had my reservations. I I wasn't sure. After beating Oregon, I'm I'm thinking I I think we got it. I think we can do this. Uh, I knew the stretch that was coming up. We go handle our business in Corvallis, and uh, we're along for the ride. And then it, like you mentioned, it, the, the ride just ends suddenly. And and as a fan of the program, I don't know if I felt that much pain in a 48 hour window than I've ever felt in my life before. It was, it was absolutely heart wrenching. It was just how it ended. How it yeah. ended so quickly. And, and even in the national championship game, when we watched it, that just didn't feel like yeah. the same Husky team that we had seen all year. There were, there were things that, and give credit. And I gave credit to Michigan because they did, they just out, they outplayed it. We made mistakes, but guys, there was, what was 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, still seven point game. One throw, one holding call on Roger in that play. And where are we at? Of all how how bad you play, I mean, interception by Mike coming out a second half, first play, you're like, oh, my God, but you still had a shot. And so you hold on to that and go, what could have been? But it still, in the end, 14-1, and one, Sugar Bowl champ, which is amazing, guys. That, that time down in New Orleans was awesome. I love that city, of course, because I played there my first four years in the league. But it was... It was such a, a a great feeling to know that this Husky team and this whole place and Washington can do that and be as good as anybody in the country and battle for a national championship and have that opportunity and to see it. And now we go, well, now that you tasted it, don't you want to do it again? Mm. <laughs> that's that's what everybody wants to do. Um, looking at every highlight, your you have I think you have about three iconic sound bites right now. Um, I have my favorite one. I want to know if you have one that's your favorite. Mine is after the uh, Pac-12 championship when DJ runs yeah. out. You go, I'm going to hug every damn Husky fan here. <laughs> that was my favorite call that you've ever had. The hallelujah purple rain. Mm. And you just screaming as the ball goes wide right. Uh, what is your favorite? Is, is there another one that I'm missing? You know, I don't, don't ask Tony this because you'll be like, Cam. <laughs> There's a lot of protocols. <laughs> There's a lot of play-by-play and color analyst protocol stuff that I might have broken when it comes to that. And and I I don't because Tony's a pro, dude. He is a legend. He is so good. And first of all, he had to follow Bob. I mean, how do you follow Bob? Yeah. And then come in and do as good as Tony's, and it's incredible. I am a guy, as you guys understand it. I, I wear everything on my friggin' sleeve, and I don't care. Sometimes I should be a little bit careful. Uh, but when it comes to those moments, I had never been there. 
fellas. I hadn't been in the Pac-12 championship calling that game wondering, are we going to run toss on the outside and Dylan's going to cut back and we're going to go, yeah, like that. There's no, I can't, I can't wrap that emotion around it. And then all of a sudden, then go back to how amazing that game was in October. Have you ever seen Husky Stadium? Never in my career. I played in a pretty crazy game there. I mean, Nebraska, my senior year had the intent, but not like that. Not like that. There's no way. And then go back to last year when we come all the way back and beat them in Otson for, is that three in a row? Yeah. (laughs) I was there for that one as well. We've done it three in a row. All of those, I've never felt that as a fan yet, Uh, especially because it just is, as a player, it just feels different. There I'm up in the booth and, you know, the Pac-12 championship game felt amazing to finish in the Sugar Bowl when it shouldn't have been that way. And DJ gets his ankle and we're like, get up, DJ. Yeah. But then he doesn't, and then we got to go, and Elijah knocks that ball out of the way, and it just all—all all those things are. I, I'm an emotional person. I let it fly. I probably should have. If we would have got down to it in the national championship, I would have calmed down maybe a little bit and given given the window for Tony. But uh, other than that, fellas, they all were they sure. all were epic. Are you sure, or are you? Yeah, sure I don't know. I honestly, I, I think know. I would have if if it were me. I. I I might have dropped a couple of f bombs by now. <laughs> it's it's is hard it because that fine. I, I don't I don't want to have to pay that fine. <laughs> I try to keep it under under wraps. But I think that I I speak for everybody when I talk about being a fan first. Mm-hmm. I, that's how I feel. I mean, I'm so connected to this program, and in the way it feels down to my soul, I, I can't not let it out sometimes. And that's probably what m- maybe. I'm never going to apologize for the emotions of what I play, but there might be a little bit of discipline things I can get better at. That's for sure. But I got to tell you, I think it brings out the best sometimes when you do that in Tony as well. Like, I can't believe it, Cam. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's just the the chemistry that I, I hear between you two um, I, I, it makes it a more enjoyable game where I look forward to going back and listening to the podcast again where you guys just do the play-by-play. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. A lot of fans or friends that, of mine that had an opportunity to listen to the game. They synced it up through the ESPN app that allowed them to watch the championship game and sync us up in the call. And Mm -hmm. and, and no disrespect to Herbie and certainly file. I mean, those guys are led they're elite that television, but if you want a Husky broadcast and, and hear us that way, it's a, it's a pretty cool way to sync it up. Um, how so like as you're talking about I've kind of led you into this what is the how do you connect being a fan of this program with your job as being a color analyst I I hosted radio in Portland for 6 yeah, years very long time. 1080 the fan and I was we were the home of the ducks and so I had college football and I had to pretend that I that I liked that I cared about which I do and I'll tell you this from the start fellas I I love college football it's always been the passion i respect college football players and coaches um i hate the ducks to the fire of a thousand suns what they mean <laughs> and who they are doesn't mean i i disrespect what those players go through what those coaches go through every kid that steps in that program at 18 and then works his way up or, or now we see is in the transfer portal so i respect college football and what it takes to play because not a lot of people understand they see saturdays they do not yeah. see 50 hours a week uh, right now, the guys are getting up at five o'clock in the morning and conditioning week started this week with the new staff yep. and Tyler got him in there and that dude's intense and it's not like it's it's a big change, but those guys got up uh, 5 a.m. They had 6 a.m. They're working their butts off four days a week. Then they have an off day on Wednesday and then they train and then they go to class and it's an all day job. 
and it's an all year round job to be at that level. And so I think back to how hard it is and what these guys are going through. And certainly now we're seeing the changes, the NIL, the guys going into the transfer portal, certain groups are coming in and out. The offers are flying with coach fish. I've never seen anything like it. You know, I know there are programs across the country that offer and how, how this goes, but this is different than what I've ever seen. It's certainly unique. Uh, I'm not a head coach. I'm going to support the program from top to bottom and trust in what Troy Dannon has done as our athletic director, bringing the right guy. And Jed Fish is full of energy, the staff, the group. They're going to treat them like pros. I mean, this is coming from the locker room. The coaches are going to, we're going to treat you like professionals. It's, it's a hard reality, man. You're an 18 year old and we all want to call them kids, but you remember being 18? All you guys are like, you know, you remember that feeling of, Hey, I'm kind of a man. I can make my own decisions. I can do, I can't even drink yet. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> it's, it, it is a professional guys. We, we just need to say it what it is. It's, yeah. It's a mini pro sport. It was a little yeah. bit when I, when I played and there were things that were happening, but there are demands. There are millions and millions of dollars on the line. There's championships, there's leagues, there's all these things. And, by the way, these football programs are such a priority now because they pay for everything. They pay for every sport that's underneath them. They pay for all all the sports to help college athletes, and that's why it's important to make sure your football program is uh, well-funded and, and well-organized. What do you see the difference between uh, – maybe not the difference, but what do you see that Dannon is doing to make sure that – um, Washington stays at the forefront, that the money continues to come in, fan engagement being high mm-hmm. and all of that. Do mm-hmm. you see any tangible changes that he's made to the program or what he's focusing on? I've got to know Troy pretty well, and certainly he came from Tulane, so I was a big fan of, of the city of New Orleans, and I got to see what he was able to do with the, with the Green Wave. And when they built that stadium on campus, that was a big change. But he stood up in front of the players in a players' meeting and said, guys, football is number one. I'm going to, this is a rare statement. Now, I'm not telling you that every athletic director stands up and says these things, but Troy, he was hired here. First of all, he's hired here. He he tried to keep uh, Coach DeBoer. We knew that that thing, it didn't work out, but he did his best he could in 48 hours to find a guy. He did a phenomenal job, but he gets it. So when you take Tulane, and those of you who have ever been to New Orleans, Tulane is the Stanford of the South, and I'm not kidding you. That's It is a massive private school it is hard to recruit there high level uh kids to get in there he changed that whole program and invested in Tulane and if you can do that there and the way they were and how they played to get the kids there he understands the value of getting Husky football and guys it's hard not to say that it's hard to recruit but it's Washington we got our 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 tentacles man when we recruit we got to reach all over the country we don't have just look at the map of five-star, four-stars, and three-stars. Okay, In our state, we'll be lucky to have every every other year one five-star, every other year maybe some fours, maybe three to four, and then you go into the three range. You Go to Texas, I can have five of those. I can have four of those at one high school. I can go to California, Southern California. I can go into Arizona. I can go to Nevada. We have to reach. And so Troy understands. And also, too, you're talking about sending coaches and traveling and offering and all those things. We have to spend, in fact, our student-athlete cost per student-athlete is number one in the country 
number one in the country, what it costs per student athlete. And that's because you're in a city, you have to travel, and now we're traveling even more with the Big Ten, so our costs go up. That means fundraising has to go up. NIL participation is now a benchmark of $13 million that Ohio State has set. We're in the $7 million range, hopefully getting better. And then Oregon's at a high level, so we're, we're trying to compete in the Big Ten now with Michigan and Ohio State and all those things. This is where you have to get the bar has been set. And so we can't back off the throttle when it comes to that. I'm glad that you mentioned recruiting. Um, you always hear about people talking about, you know, you got to build a fence around your around your state. And and do you agree with that? I know you just mentioned we, we have to have a national reach. Um, do you think that we have to build a fence around our state? And I, I, I think, uh, yes. How, how is Jed going to do that versus Kalen's struggles? Yeah, Jake, I do. I think it is, it's a priority to get your best guys to stay home. Look, I'm recruited three straight Rose Bowls in a national championship. Where the hell do you, I grew up an hour and 20 minutes north in Cedar Woolley. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm going to go, right? Right. Where where, where am I going to go? I'm, I, I'm recruited by Notre Dame, all the Pac-10 schools at the time. I got all these other spots, and I'm like, where else do you think I'm going? The pride of what it is is to keep these these youngsters here in this state, you first have to have consistent reasons for them to want to be here. That means that you showcase them well. You're an entertaining product. You give them reasons to be here. But, yes, you need to recruit your own state. You absolutely have to grab because you're already competing with Oregon. You know, you know, you're you're looking at that. They're grabbing kids from our state. We're taking a few. Oregon doesn't have the same same amount of talent that the state of Washington does. Washington always beats them in talent. Okay, they just always do when it comes to their state. But we're trying to be really good. But then, you want to win on the West Coast, you have to recruit California. Yep. You have to. You have to have success there with those kids. You have to, whatever it takes. And now we're measuring up to what they want. Isn't that scary, yeah. fellas? When, yeah. I, when I ask, what what do they want? Now you got a mom and a dad in, involved, and we're like, hey, uh, so we're working on our NIL stuff, and this is where we're at. This is why coaches, uh, some of these coaches are going to have a really hard time staying in this business. And no disrespect to them, it's hard. And, and none of them are going to like the fact that a kid comes in and goes, I'm going to need a couple hundred grand. Let's just state it out obvious. I'm not – I'm not saying anything that anybody fan on the outside is going to look at it and go, is that really happening? Yeah, that stuff is happening. So do we like it or not? I mean, you tell me, guys. What's your first thought when I tell you an 18-year-old comes in with demand saying that I haven't played a down yet, but how much money are you going to give me? Well, I think there's a I think there's a real good reason why Coach Pete decided to hang it up when he did. I, I think there's a telling sign right there. I, I think um... – I mean, it's tough for it's it's tough for the old heads to to buy into that, don't you think? I do. I think it's difficult for anybody to want to change and adjust. And the ones that that's why Nick Saban look Saban seventy was he seventy two this year? Yeah, I think seventy two. That's hard to stay around. I mean, at seventy two, and he's evolved uh, so many times already, right? Yeah, he think about. I mean, you remember when Coach Saban was whining that Chip Kelly was going too fast? He's we yeah. can't, we can't have that. Well, he adapted. He changed one championships after that. Everybody adapts in college football. Some people, the best ones, bitch and moan and they whine and they complain. And then those coaches get kicked out to the side, you know, because you have to adjust. Football's evolved, man. Think about it, about how different offense is and, and, and where we're at. You have to evolve. 
whether you like it or not, you can have tradition and build, but there's a lot of buzzwords out there that are really, really hard to use and then get conviction from players and coaches like family, yeah. commitment, discipline, wanting to be here, all these buzzwords of these things, and then all of a sudden seeing coaches jump and players jump and all of that, you have to really be careful of really what you mean. And as long as you're transparent up front of what we're all trying to achieve here, then I think it's okay. Fans, we're, we're not, guys, we're not going to like it as much. Because do you find it really difficult to watch Jabbar Muhammad be an unbelievable stopper and then suddenly pick your rival right. and go down to Oregon? In what God's mind creation would that have ever happened other than in this entity that we're here? I can't even mentally process it. There's not a dollar amount in my brain that would get me to – I'm, I'm not kidding you. I don't even care that 18 zeros and Phil Knight walked up to me and said, Nike's for life. It ain't ever happening. Some guys are different because Jabbar came from Oklahoma State. I'm not going to hate on him for doing it. We're just in a different time now. It, and it's – we're just going to have to be pretty accepting of year-to-year mindset. A little bit. A little bit. And do you think that – this is going to be the norm moving forward? Or do you think like a lot of people think that there's going to have to be some different legislation just so we can keep our sport? Because like the conversation today was about, uh, we were talking about, I mean, some of my friends were talking about the potential defensive coordinator hire coming up for us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the names that are being rumored are guys who have NFL experience. And my, my response every time is, if you have NFL roots, why in the world would you subject yourself to being a college coach in 2024? Right. What are what what are some of the changes that are going to have to be made within the next couple of years so we can not only just keep really good coaches in the sport, but to kind of control, just kind of settle things down. Don't don't necessarily put shackles on the on the players' freedoms to be able to kind of choose for themselves and 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 whatnot, but. I think the way it is right now, if it keeps continuing like this, it's just going to be really hard for the diehards to kind of stay mm -hmm. locked in with the sport. It's a slippery slope. It, it It is. And remember, there's only 32 NFL jobs. So that's it. So 32 defensive coordinators, 32 head coaches, 32 quarterbacks coaches. There's 130 in college football. Uh, coaches want to stay in the business, so they want to be around that those kinds of staffs. And they want to stay in it. Now, they'll go down a level, but it's not really going down if you stay in that power five level. And these coaches understand it. And a lot of them, a lot of them want to get to the NFL level. And why? You don't recruit. Yeah. Okay? And, and you're, you're teaching men, teaching guys with kids, families, men. And guys that are like, you're not going to talk to me that way. Type of, you're leading young men when you're a college coach. Your patience, your leash has to be quite a bit longer. You're not in these formidable moments where these these guys are are looking at you. These are it's like my dad. It's like the, the, having your you see your strength coach every damn day, your position coach. The those are super meaningful. So that's why it hurts when someone leaves you, like a Scott Huff, and and he goes and you see every offensive lineman gone. Well, you want to know why? Because he was like their dad. I mean, he was there. I mean, he was so hard on him, man. He's ruthless. I love Coach Huff, man. He's old school with a dip in and just going after him. But that's that it, it was endearing. That's who he was. 
But the other thing is, is here's my stance on this, guys. I can be more blunt on this. Okay, the average career of a college athlete, male, female, best you got, average career at best, okay, earning-wise, maximizing your potential, 17 to 22. So you're looking at five, six years. That's your maximum. I could push it to 23. This is 99% of college athletes because less than 1% make it to the NFL and another one, less than 1% make it past two and a half years. So we need to be really careful when we understand letting someone maximize their value in that short amount of time because you get the rest of your damn life to go work a job and 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 your relationships and doing those things. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm retired. At, I retired at 31. A lot of these kids are going to be done at 22, 23 years old. That's it. No pads, no nothing. So how can I be that guy that say that legislates them to a minimum? Yes, they're getting their college degree. Yes, they're getting certain benefits of a network. But if I could earn two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars with no college debt, learn how to teach them how to save it, how to manage it, how to get a nest egg to something to start the rest of your career. There isn't anybody in this platform that works in software engineering at Apple to anyone else at a young age that designs all that stuff. Okay, that are young kids, gamers, kids on YouTube channels that are 14 and 15 making millions of dollars. So don't legit, we're not legislating them. We're just selfish because we want everyone to be part of us. And that's the fan mindset. So there is a slope. There is a very slippery slope on what to do. And every time there's difficult, we want to legislate it. We want to make sure there's a law that says you can't do that. Well, eventually you get to the point where kids will end up making their decisions. And I think guys, we're going to get to the point where we're going to have employees. Uh, That's where it'll probably be. And there's going to be PR. There's going to be things that there's going to be HR groups. um, They're going to have retirements. They're going to have things that are built in and football will separate from college and have its own to still be affiliated there. But I could be nuts, but we're going to have four power conferences coming really soon with 16 team playoff and then that's where we're at and as they separate here's the other thing and i'm point i'm taking up too much time because i could talk on this for hours guys what you heard dion he'll talk about this and coach sanders he'll say at colorado i really feel sorry for all these high school kids because the transfer portal is how we're shuffling kids around and we doing that you know who's going to benefit from this think about it smaller schools yep. d1 naia those kids they're we're not making kids we're they're not birthed at 18 and then suddenly they develop into football you still have to develop them in high school and then give them opportunities at smaller schools so in idaho in the northwest and eastern uh boise state uh montana you can see how good they are all those programs are going to get an influx of a ton of talent that are going to make football really good at that level and that college football is going to get even better even better because at the power five level, there might be some shuffling that we see with free agency, but as it goes, these high school kids are going to need spaces and there's still good football out there to play. And that's, I mean, I got, I got a, I got one that I'm trying to find him a spot right now. We're grinding his butt off. He's a junior. And then I have, like I said, my oldest is Royce. He walked on and turned down smaller schools to walk on at a power five, knowing he's going to get his ass kicked. And I'm like, dude, you're going to get your ass kicked. That's tough there. This is not, He's like, I don't care. I, I want it. I'm like, all right, man, I'm telling you how hard it's going to be. This is the real world's going to slap you in the face real quick in one-on-one drills, right? So this is just, there's there's a lot of opportunity. I feel like I talked way too long, fellas. I got 
I just you, no, you no, no, sucked no. it up. But it's, go go down the rabbit hole with me a little bit, Cam. Yeah. The thing what you're saying about the it's kind of like the tides that lift the boats of quality football at the mm-hmm. F uh, FCS level, yep. Division two, Division uh, Division three, NAIA. Um, those guys are going to still have an opportunity to make that jump up. We saw it with Zach. Absolutely. But you're also going to have a situation where you have kids that are, uh, that, that went through the competition process at at a a higher level than high school, having Mm -hmm. their tuition paid for, um, maybe having some, some semblance of an NAI NIL deal in the, their vicinity, but at the bare minimum, they come out, with no student debt, with transferable skills, with leadership skills, um, and, 100%. and an experience that, uh, you know, not a ton of people get. Trevor, it's a monster point, And it's something that I don't think a lot of people think about. And I can state it with pure conviction. Like you said there, I learned more in an NFL huddle, in a college huddle, in a college classroom, when it came to football, in a weight room about discipline, commitment, and accountability than I ever learned in any classroom I ever sat in in my life. I learned what it takes to do leadership, how to work as a team. And then that translates to the real world in real jobs and things that we do where there's a lot of individual now. You learn so much of skills and how to do that. And it goes without saying, you know how hard it is to get up at 5 a.m.? Tell me, line up a bunch of 18-year-olds right now. Go find them in any high school and tell me how many you're going to get up at 5 a.m. to train lift and then go to class for three hours straight on their own. What's their motivation to do it? Ask that question. Those kids that can do that are going to translate to the real world and how you build great leaders and great young men. And that's what you're trying to do at that level. And that's why I think that that gets lost in a lot because, okay, maybe they didn't win a football game or maybe it wasn't as good. You're learning so much as a young athlete, and this isn't just men, this is, I know we're talking about football, we're talking about all college athletes across the board, men and women. My wife was a, was a uh, college athlete. She was both basketball and softball. Okay, I was football and baseball. So we did it, we, did, we had to. It's what we, we breed when it comes to athletes because it learns so much from it. I'm not saying it's that you, if you're not an athlete, you can't learn. No, that's not what I'm telling you, but you get so much more out of being a college athlete and you learn a lot of responsibility for sure. Funny bringing up your wife as well. Uh, she probably has the coolest highlight of either of you guys. No, uh, by when, far. She, by far. When, she, when she hit the home run and hit the bicyclist yeah. on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, on the bike path. That was one pretty of the best bloopers. Oh yeah. Time. yeah. <laughs> awesome. I didn't realize that was her. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, she's a better athlete. She was a better shooter. She's an incredible high school athlete. Uh, just, yeah, it's, we say is like everyone goes, Cam, you really I'm like no, no, Mindy's way better athlete than I was, and that's saying something. That's only <laughs> uh, that is saying something. Very good outfielders coach as well. Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, kind of back to the football field, thinking of kind of what you get, what you're talking about, about the things that these guys do from uh, you know every day but Saturday. Um, who are the guys that mm-hmm. started to catch your eye that aren't necessarily the guys that we saw the the highlights about, but guys who did the small things really well on the football field. Well, it's, it's hard because there were so, we, we were a pretty old team. When you think about yeah. it, we had a lot of six year guys. Of course, I, I mean, if we're talking about guys that I'm going to miss tremendously, I'm going to miss Westy 
like there's no tomorrow because when I think about a kid that's a walk-on from Mount Si and he came in and nobody gave him a shot. He was just a skinny little dude from up on the plateau. and Basketball player. Yeah, and he comes in and how many huge – you guys can all remember there are probably three catches in this season where if he doesn't catch that football, it's a completely different year. Yep. First or different season. Completely. He doesn't yeah. catch that ball. And so Westy just was just a grinder. I loved everything about it. Of course, I'm gonna be a little hyper biased because he's a tight end, but there are so many good players and watching guys that stepped up and came in. If I want to talk about guys that got better throughout the year, that was in a lot of harsh. Elijah Jackson took a lot of beating man he took a lot and they attacked him they came after it in his play against texas in that moment seeing him make that play and how well he got better throughout the year because he was on an island because devon banks goes down devon's going to get that starting job he's going to beat him out and he hurts his shoulder and so everybody has to step up and he was on that other side they attacked him and watching watching how hard uh braylon trice had to fight the first part of the year I mean, he was an All-American, but they weren't getting the love on the sacks, but his pressures and his timing and what he what he had to do. Talk about Fatuitutel. He plays with he literally has no peck. He can't bench. I'm I'm not kidding. You couldn't even bench 225 because he he's been in so many injuries. And Tuli the Tuli Nasinoa, who's been here for six years. These guys are grinding. Carson Bruner is my favorite guy on defense, along with Eddie Ufosio. Of course, those two guys. Because they're they've been dogs for life, and no offense to to Braylon and Toop and and because they, they all those guys are great rotation and Coach Hens did an awesome rotation with those. But watching Brew go down at the beginning of the year, like his old man on kickoff cover and, and his violence and how he tackled, all of that, and there are just so many guys that can just sit and call out and and if I'm going to go on the offensive line, how about Parker Brailsford who weighs two seventy five. And as a freshman All-American, now he's at Alabama. I wish him nothing but luck. I'm going to miss that kid. 6'2", 275. He can do a standing backflip. He's the most incredible athlete you'll see uh, out of AZ. Shout out to Arizona. Uh, but he is he's, he's just a just a grinder. I mean, you, you see you lose your starting center at the beginning of the year, and then Parker's got to slide over from guard, and then he goes to center, and then everything just settled in. So there are just so many tough kids and – and going to it goes without saying about the way Mike play, but there's just gonna be a lot of guys I'm gonna miss about this team. I've never felt closer. I, maybe you guys can respond to this. Have you ever felt closer? Like you know these guys so much? Not even close. Yeah. Um, I think of the teams that I've really, really liked, and you know the 2016 team stands out. But there's I don't know if there's ever been a team that let you in as much, and some of that's just the 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 leadership that allowed us to see more of these guys on a personal level. I've never, I've never felt yeah. um, as close to a program as I did this year. Yeah. For me, it was that 2001 team that, uh, that really mm. kind of solidified my Washington fandom. Um, and, and I didn't think that, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I didn't think that I was ever going to feel a way that I felt about that 2001 team until this year and and this year has eclipsed it by twice yeah for me the 91 team you know i think i was like 15 at the time and they still felt like superheroes you know they weren't like they weren't they weren't really people they were just they were guys who i either watched at the stadium or i watched on tv and and it was kind of like you know steve Etman and mario bailey and 
my God, Napoleon Kaufman and Billy Joe Hobart and Mark Grinnell and the list goes on and on. Um, but just kind of being, you know, growing up and, you know, especially a lot of these AZ guys on the team that I've had a chance to either coach against or I just happen to run into them. I, I know Parker's dad pretty well. Um, I've talked to Dom Hampton's uh, dad, you know, several times. And, you know, I, I got to see Braylon Trice a little bit when he was down here. Um, but just, you know, now and just kind of, you know, just kind of digging into it, just the personalities and all the guys who came back. And it was just a beautiful story. Like they had a chance to all leave, you know, two years ago when when there was a coaching change. And I remember saying Kalen DeBoer's biggest recruiting job is going to be on this roster. And CTS stayed and, 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 you know, they, and Eddie stayed and, and Dom stayed. And it was just sort of one of these deals that just kind of came together. I feel like despite the fact that they fell just a little bit short, this is one of the most impressive groups I've ever watched in my entire life. And you feel you just, and, and, it, and it doesn't hurt that for whatever reason, every game was a roller coaster. Hmm. It's not like we were just blowing people out by 40 points, like the 91 team, you know, it was just like, oh, my God, what are we going to do to make this a little too uncomfortable at the end? And, you know, even, you know, I was at the Vegas game. I was at the Pac-12 championship game. I didn't get that hug, by the way, Cam. So no, okay. <laughs> I can take care of that later. We got we got one from Spencer Hawes. It was cool. Um, but we went up by 10. And then mm. <laughs> Oregon goes right down on like one play and scores. And you're like, I cannot believe we're going to have to do this again. No. And it's just, it might've taken five years off my life this year, but I just had a blast. I went to, I think I went to five games this year, flew to Michigan state, went to the Oregon game up in Seattle, went to Vegas, went to Tucson, obviously got to go to Houston, which was, you know, cool experience. Although I'll probably never go back to the city of Houston again. Um, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I'm just jealous that I missed out on new Orleans, but I mean, what a hell of a season, what a hell of a team. And back to your point earlier about we didn't get a chance to properly celebrate it. We didn't get a pro- uh, chance to properly mourn anything either. Like it was just within a week's time, the whole landscape changed. The roster is different. And it's just like, I think we're all finally starting to kind of, you know, get our bearings, but man, what a ride. And, you know, some of those guys, actually a lot of those guys, whether it was the, the final Chris Peterson recruiting class or some of the late classes, those guys that stuck around me and Jake talked to a lot of those guys when they were recruits, we interviewed them and we knew them on a personal level and, you know, having to defend those classes that Lake put together and seeing the guys that have stuck around and have started playing key roles on this program. It, it, it brought even a little bit more satisfaction seeing them on the biggest stage. And I think maybe that's part of it as well. Yeah, I can imagine, guys, think about this. Ten straight wins with one possession, Jeez. seven points. I mean, the emotions from the start. Ever since that, you get done with the cow, cow game, we're like, hey, man, we're rolling, no prop. Yeah. Nope. Every week to the damn reverse against the Apple Cup to the kick. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, I know I lost a few lives. I'm willing to give it up. That's fine. It's yeah. no big deal, but it was, it was a great. I can't describe it other than better. It was an amazing ride this year well and and just the factions that they won also you know not every game was the win the same way you know the arizona state game took our defense to win us that game and and like you mentioned uh rome on a fourth down sweep took us to win a game and it it, 
just the the ability to win in so many different fashions was really kind of what made this team incredible as as a fan it, I, I feel so bad for my poor wife that had to sit there and watch all of these games with me because I'm a hat thrower and a yeller and a screamer and and she just has to put up with it. And with as many close games as there were this year, I probably took five years off of her life. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to tell you guys to understand how hard it is to win football games? Yeah. You know, in the NFL, you win you look Kansas City and look at all the teams that are in there. You, 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 I played in that league, so it's different. You get to the point you're like, God, 10 12 wins you're like this is incredible college football they went on they went on that run it was 23 straight yeah. I mean, that that to me when you go the hell did that happen yeah that is insane that they were able to go through that the anxiety the stress mike being hurt mike's ribs rome having to drive home from arizona with the with the broken rib and his lungs collapsed all these stuff that they're going through guys are playing hurt when i mean guys are playing hurt they're really hurt all the way through that missing players. I mean, J Mac was out. We saw him in Michigan. We didn't get, really get him back, really, till the Pac-12 championship game. Really, I mean, that's 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 when you got full J Mac back, and it was they had to overcome a lot, and they did a lot. Crazy. What was your point of view on that fourth and one with the realm reverse? Uh well, I was watching it, so I immediately I thought it's an RP. I was going to, oh, he's going to RPO. He's going to give a chance for Mike to be able to go on the outside. I thought they were, the way that they came out in that formation uh, immediately, because you had Mike and Gun. I'm like, oh, no, he's not under center, so they're not going to go downhill with DJ, so he's in Gun. And then all of a sudden, you could see that was the Cougs. Everybody was loading the box, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the ball's on right. And I also want to know, who designed that one? Was that Coach Grubb? Was that Kalen that did that? Because it was gutsy, yeah. and it was a perfect design call. Because you set it up with the timeout, and it it just did, it had Washington State thinking they got it fixed. Man, uh, there, there's a thousand more things I want to talk to you about. Uh, I, I want to finish it up with this. Uh, what yeah. are your thoughts on the Jedfish era? Well, <laughs> what are we in? What am I watching? Like, yeah, three watch. weeks. Here, here we are, January 31st. I'm sorry, I'll date you. He gets hired. I can't even remember the date now. Was it was it uh, 12th, 13th? I can't even remember, man. It's, it's happened. Like this whole month felt like it was two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't had to personally meet Coach Fish yet. I, I have not. I haven't got. I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. I really look forward to, to meeting him and seeing it and what he's done. And what he did at Arizona was pretty impressive, certainly. Uh, I understand why he came to Washington because we're a better program. This is not any disrespect. We have we have more tradition. We have better resources, better facilities. It's just, and we're going into, I I think it's the better conference. I mean, no, again, the Big 12s, it's a good spot, but Texas is leaving, Oklahoma's leaving, and we're joining Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and we're, we're going, it's the Big 10 and the SEC, and everybody else is looking up. That's really what it is. So, He's got his work cut out for him. He's going to treat it like it's an NFL place. He's going to have tempo. He's going to have speed. We're going to see a different kind of offense, which I'm a little bit excited. And I, I liked what Coach DeBoer did, but you're going to see. I mean, we get Jonah Coleman, dude. That dude, he's good. Yeah. He is good. And then down, downhill attack. We got to get some more linemen. And we find that out. We're going to get some big boys up front, start going downhill. The athleticism. And Dylan stays around. Okay, we have a veteran quarterback. However, the room is going to happen, and what's 
it is to have a veteran guy there. But from what coach, the time Coach Fish got got hired to where we are now, he's, dude, he's he's lighting it up. He's lighting it up with, with getting in the right groups. Now he's got to get the defensive staff together and and get all that settled in because before you know it, guys, we're going to be in spring and that transfer portal is going to open up in April and stuff's going to really start to fly. So it just is uh, – we we don't have time. I, one of my favorite lines, and I'll leave you with this. My favorite lines was, of course, I was Coach James' last recruiting class, then we had Jim Lambright, so everybody was tough. But Randy Hart was one of the best defensive line coaches in all of college football. He's a legend. But – Every time we're being a drill, we've been board drills or board drills is one-on-one. You put a board between your legs and whoever wins, knock each other off. You're just beating the crap out of each other. We're nine on seven, which is inside run. Beat the crap out of each other. Guy goes down, rip a face mask off. His hurt, his fingers pointing the other way. Blood's coming out. Again, we're beating each other up. We slide forward in, in every single time to this day. Guys are getting down. Coach would walk up, Coach Randy Harp, say, move the drill five yards forward because this is what we have to do in football. We move the effing drill. That's what we do. We got to go forward five. We can't sit in my, – my favorite lines is sitting in a dirty diaper, man. I don't have to sit in that very long. I don't want to waste time, okay, sitting in this thing. And so we got to support Coach Fish. We got to – all these guys, no matter how long they're going to be here because I don't know, I put my hands up, right? Coach could tell me he wants to be here, and I believe him in the moment. We all know you guys have all had opportunities. Things change, right? You're going to be angry. Something changes. Life changes. Job changes. Family changes. Something changes. So in this moment, I'm going to support him everything I got and trust it. And I got a kid there that wants to be a a dog as long as he can fight for it. And I said, you're going to get your ass kicked every damn day. Uh, Coach Carroll's a pretty damn cool offensive line coach. He's got a great lineage of it with his old man he's he's done a lot there he knows how to coach those guys up there's there's a lot of positives uh about and hey guys we're not going to be that bad next year so don't think this is a it's it's not one of those where you throw away and go hey let's think of it four or five wait no 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 we're not an easy out okay we're not we're not an easy out next year everyone's going to be throwing in a new coach and nobody cares and did that it's like uh-uh i'm sorry this team doesn't we don't roll like that Okay, in the Big Ten, they're they're solid, but they're okay. The West Coast is coming for that a little bit, and and Washington's going to do it. Yeah, oh. you're absolutely right. The floor next year is seven mm-hmm. wins. That's the floor. You can't look at that schedule next year and show me six losses. Yeah, it's just it's it's one of those week to week moments, and be like, I love every challenge. You get Michigan back at home. You get a rematch. Yeah. Yeah. You get a rematch with a whole new coach, and their guys are going in the transfer portal, and everything's different. You get the Oregon, who won the offseason national championship, but they're amazing recruiting, and they're a great job that they do every single year. Amazing job that they talk about. And, all, hey, and Coach Lanning can coach, and those guys can get it done, and they're loaded with talent. But you still got to win the football game, and that's why you play the game. <laughs> we can talk about it all we want. We can yak about it. Oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. We got you three straight times in the biggest era of college football right now. Okay. We played in a national championship game in the playoff era. You didn't. So at this point, they're chasing us. That's awesome. Cam, thanks so much for joining. For Trevor Mueller, Jake Grant, Coach V, and of course, Cam Cleland. Go dogs. Go dogs. My pleasure, fellas.